As Bombay showed through the slight head haze, there were many remarks passed on how alike the last two cities and this one looked from out at sea. As we tied up, there was a buzz of talk and much dashing about getting washed and spruced up in general for the trip ashore. Passes were handed out and money changed into Indian currency. Everyone was eager to see what had been known as our destination up until that day. Though many had guessed right, as we were about to be bound for. The first thing that greeted us was the cry for bakshis. This, we found out, was a national habit or custom, pestered almost every yard of the way by hawkers selling mass-produced wares. We proceeded to see the sights. After tramping around for hours, I decided to take the weight off my heated and weary feet and entered the softly lit coolness of one of the luxury cinemas. After the hot, dusty, glaring, noisy streets, it was a great relief to sit quietly in a well-upholstered chair. Coming out of there, I went for my supper at a canteen, after which I strolled back to the ship. All had to be aboard by nine o'clock. The next day, we were ordered to fall in with towels, bathing costumes, and march the five miles to Breach Candy swimming pool. This place surpassed anything we'd imagined and covered a large area having an outdoor and indoor swimming pool, cafeterias and lawns for sunbathing, which were dotted by gaily painted tables and chairs over which a huge umbrella stood. We hurriedly undressed, washed our sweating bodies under the showers and plunged into the sparkling seawater. That swim made the march well worthwhile. That was the highlight of the day, and the one following we packed up and left the ship that had been our home for more weeks. As Bombay showed through the slight head haze, there were many remarks passed on how alike the two cities and this one looked from out at sea. As we tied up, there was a buzz of talk and much dashing about getting washed and spruced up in general for the trip ashore. Passes were handed out, and money changed into Indian currency. Everyone was eager to see what had been known as our destination up until that day, though many had guessed right as to where we had been bound for. The first thing that greeted us was the cry for bakshis. This, we found out, was a national habit or custom, pestered almost every yard of the way by hawkers selling mass-produced wares. We proceeded to see the sights. After tramping around for hours, I decided to take the weight off my heated and weary feet and entered the softly lit coolness of one of the luxury cinemas. After the hot, dusty, glaring, noisy streets, it was a great relief to sit quietly in a well-upholstered chair. Coming out of there, I went for my supper at the canteen, after which I strolled back to the ship. All had to be aboard by nine o'clock. The next day, we were ordered to fall in with towels and bathing costumes, and we marched the five miles to Breach Candy Swimming Pool. This place surpassed anything we'd imagined, and covered a large area with a heated indoor and outdoor swimming pool. Cafeterias and lawns for sunbathing, which were dotted by gaily painted tables and chairs, over which stood a huge umbrella. We hurriedly undressed, washed our sweating bodies under the showers, and plunged into the sparkling seawater. That swim made the march well worthwhile. That was the highlight of the day.
The one following, we packed up and left the ship that had been our home for some weeks. I, for one, felt a pang of regret as we marched away to the trains. We got out at a place called Armanaga. It was a dark place. As Bombay showed through the slight head haze, there were many remarks passed on how alike the two cities and this one looked from out at sea. As we tied up, there were, was a buzz of talk and much dashing about getting washed and spruced up in general for the trip ashore. Passes were handed out and money changed into Indian currency. Everyone was eager to see what had been known as our destination up until that day, though many had guessed right as to where we had been bound for. The first thing that greeted us was the cry for buckshees. This, we found out, was a national habit or custom, pestered almost every yard of the way by hawkers selling mass-produced wares. We proceeded to see the sights. After tramping around for hours, I decided to take the weight off my heated and weary feet and entered the softly lit coolness of one of the luxury cinemas. After the hot, dusty, glaring, noisy streets, it was a great relief to sit quietly in a well-upholstered chair. Coming out of there, I went for my supper at the canteen, after which I strolled back to the ship. All had to be aboard by nine o'clock. The next day, we were ordered to fall in with towels and bathing costumes, and we marched the five miles to Breach Candy Swimming Pool. This place surpassed anything we'd imagined, and covered a large area with a heated indoor and outdoor swimming pool. Cafeterias and lawns for sunbathing, which were dotted by gaily painted tables and chairs, over which stood a huge umbrella. We hurriedly undressed, washed our sweating bodies under the showers, and plunged into the sparkling seawater. That swim made the march well worthwhile. That was the highlight of the day. The one following, we packed up and left the ship that had been our home for some weeks. I, for one, felt a pang of regret as we marched away to the trains. We got out at a place called Armanega. It was dark and the place looked very dismal as we started away on the four-mile march to the barracks. Things looked even worse when we got there. With no light, we tried to make our beds down on the wood and string charboys and put our nets up. But we were tired and tumbled into bed with clothes on and fell asleep. It didn't look much better in daylight, and I wasn't to enjoy my stay at Naga where we would have intensified training, especially in combined operations. The city itself was out of bounds, and the only places to go were the local picture hall and Naga Bazaar, which boasted two dozen somewhat dingy shops. There was one that looked palatial to the others. Once a fortnight, they managed a dance to which the nurses from the nearby hospital came, plus a few civilians. They weren't much good, as the women were always outnumbered at least ten to one. This, I was to find, was the usual state of affairs in India. It was here that the battalion had its second casualty, when on a night manoeuvres with the carriers, Sergeant Green, who had gone forward to Recce, fell down one of the big wells that dotted the countryside. The officer in charge, Lieutenant Llewellyn, made a number of gallant attempts to rescue him. They failed. 
His body was recovered the next day. His effects were sold and the money sent to the widow. I was chosen as one of the firing party at the burial and he was laid to rest in the cemetery at Naga with full military honours. Next, the battalion moved to a huge inland sea near Pune. We went through the first stages of combined ops. This was followed by a more advanced stage at Juhu, where everyone had to learn to swim and pass out by doing 50 yards in clothes and equipment. Here occurred our third fatal casualty, when Captain Lister Todd, while swimming, was swept out to sea and drowned. A very popular officer and we were sorry to lose him. This was followed by a full-scale exercise. We boarded ships at Bombay and landed further down the coast. Shortly after this, the unit was ordered to mobilise for action, and the brigades moved to Chittagong, where we stayed a few weeks, training for a landing on Akyab. Everything had been arranged down to the smallest detail. The latest aerial photo... We got out at a place called Armenager. It was dark and the place looked very dismal as we started away on the four mile march to the barracks. Things looked even worse when we got there. With no light, we tried to make our beds down on the wood and string charboys and put our nets up. But we were tired and tumbled into bed with clothes on and fell asleep. It didn't look much better in daylight and I wasn't to enjoy my stay at Naga where we would have intensified training, especially in combined operations. The city itself was out of bounds, and the only places to go were the local picture hall and Naga Bazaar, which boasted two dozen somewhat dingy shops. There was one that looked palatial to the others. Once a fortnight, they managed to dance, to which the nurses from the nearby hospital came, plus a few civilians. They weren't much good, as the women were always outnumbered at least ten to one. This, I was to find, was the usual state of affairs in India. It was here that the battalion had its second casualty, when on a night manoeuvres with the carriers, Sergeant Green, who had gone forward to Reki, fell down one of the big wells that dotted the countryside. The officer in charge, Lieutenant Llewellyn, made a number of gallant attempts to rescue him. They failed. His body was recovered the next day. His effects were sold and the money sent to the widow. I was chosen as one of the firing party at the burial and he was laid to rest in the cemetery at Naga with full military honours. Next, the battalion moved to a huge inland sea near Pune. We went through the first stages of combined ops. This was followed by a more advanced stage at Juhu, where everyone had to learn to swim and pass out by doing 50 yards in clothes and equipment. Here occurred our third fatal casualty, when Captain Lister Todd, while swimming, was swept out to sea and drowned. A very popular officer, and we were sorry to lose him. This was followed by a full-scale exercise. We boarded ships at Bombay and landed further down the coast. Shortly after this, the unit was ordered to mobilise for action and the brigades moved to Chittagong, where we stayed a few weeks, training for a landing on Akyab. 
Everything had been arranged down to the smallest detail. The latest aerial photographs were issued and committed to memory, and we stood ready for the word to go. I was never given the far later air reconnaissance which revealed that somehow the Japs had got wind of the proposed assault and had strengthened shore defences and put up beach and underwater obstacles. Instead of this, it was decided to strike at the enemy by land and we moved down the coast by rail and steamer truck, marching from Mongdegoy Everything had been arranged down to the smallest detail. The latest aerial photographs were issued and committed to memory, and we stood ready for the word to go. I was never given the far later air reconnaissance which revealed that somehow the Japs had got wind of the proposed assault and had strengthened shore defences and put up beach and underwater obstacles. Instead of this, it was decided to strike at the enemy by land, and we moved down the coast by rail and steamer truck, marching from Morndor to the front line, just outside Dombeg. This was a distance of, I believe, 46 miles, and was done during the hours of darkness for security's sake. It was one of the most unpleasant marches I'd ever done. All are bad, but there are a few which are so particularly so, and remain still vivid in my memory. Though I'd never fallen out of a march, I was tempted on that one. Only willpower and the fact that I didn't want to spoil my record, was a, which was a matter of pride, kept me going for those last few hours. I cursed everyone and everything, especially the Bren gun I was carrying and had been for the last two hours. As apart from the other B gunner, an NCO, the rest of the section had fallen by the way. This at least relieved my feelings a little bit. After a rest, we took up positions, relieving an Indian battery. Before we'd sailed from Britain, the king had inspected us. Churchill gave us a farewell speech, and a few weeks before Wavell had given us Before we'd sailed from Britain, the king had inspected us. Churchill gave us a farewell speech, and a few weeks before Wavell had given us
marching from Maundal to the front line, just outside Dombeg. This was a distance of, I believe, 46 miles, and was done during the hours of darkness for security's sake. It was one of the most unpleasant marches I'd ever done. All are bad, but there are a few which are so particularly so, and remain still vivid in my memory. Though I'd never fallen out of a march, I was tempted on that one. Only willpower and the fact that I didn't want to spoil my record, was a, which was a matter of pride, kept me going for those last few hours. I cursed everyone and everything, especially the Bren gun I was carrying and had been for the last two hours. As apart from the other B gunner, an NCO, the rest of the section had fallen by the way. This at least relieved my feelings a little bit. After a rest, we took up positions relieving an Indian battery. Before we had sailed from Britain, the King had inspected us. Churchill gave us a farewell speech, and a few weeks before, Wavell had given us a pep talk. This, we thought, is what all the fuss had been about. This was what all the toil and sweat of training had been for. But the campaign was to prove a puzzle. A more holding-the-line job, though attacks were in and a few hundred yards of ground were gained for what was most of the time a desultory sort of warfare. We eventually had to withdraw, owing to an old Jap trick which the higher command had not learnt or taken into account. He had infiltrated through the left flank and was now in our rear. There followed a miniature Dunkirk for nearly... Before we had sailed from Britain, the King had inspected us. Churchill gave us a farewell speech, and a few weeks before, Wavell had given us a pep talk. This, we thought, is what all the fuss had been about. This was what all the toil and sweat of training had been for. But the campaign was to prove a puzzle. A more holding-the-line job, though attacks were in and a few hundred yards of ground were gained for what was most of the time a desultory sort of warfare. We eventually had to withdraw, owing to an old Jap trick which the higher command had not learnt or taken into account. He had infiltrated through the left flank and was now in our rear. There followed a miniature Dunkirk, or nearly, for we withdrew quietly that night from our positions and marched up the beach, taking up a fresh line further back the next day. They were still behind us. Attacks had to be put in to open the way out, and once more we assembled on the beach, this time in daylight. It was a bomber's or fighter's dream target we presented as we streamed up the beach, a mass of men, mules and vehicles in a column stretching for miles. The RAs did a magnificent job here, moving between us and the enemy, frequently unlimbering their guns with speed and efficiency, which was a joy to watch, blasting the targets as they presented themselves, what was for them point-blank range. It was here that I had a very narrow escape, when just before moving off, a mortar bomb swished down at my feet, showering me with sand, but failing to explode. I broke out in a cold sweat and beat a, beat a hasty retreat, deciding to take no chances.
There were dozens of mules running loose, and I grabbed one, putting it between the hills and myself, as it offered some sort of protection against anything flying around. We were fortunate that the only planes we saw that day were hurricanes. The Japs lost a fine opportunity of annihilating us, which we found out later they had claimed to do. From Indin, we marched up the beach for about 12 miles and took up fresh positions. This time, we'd apparently left the Japs behind us, and after a There followed a miniature Dunkirk, or nearly, for we withdrew quietly that night from our positions and marched up the beach, taking up a fresh line further back the next day. They were still behind us. Attacks had to be put in to open the way out, and once more we assembled on the beach, this time in daylight. It was a bomber's or fighter's dream target we presented as we streamed up the beach a mass of men, mules and vehicles in a column stretching for miles. The RAs did a magnificent job here, moving between us and the enemy, frequently unlimbering their guns with speed and efficiency, which was a joy to watch, blasting the targets as they presented themselves, what was for them point-blank range. It was here that I had a very narrow escape, when just before moving off, a mortar bomb swished down at my feet, showering me with sand, but failing to explode. I broke out in a cold sweat and beat a, beat a hasty retreat, deciding to take no chances. There were dozens of mules running loose, and I grabbed one, putting it between the hills and myself, as it offered some sort of protection against anything flying around. We were fortunate that the only planes we saw that day were hurricanes. The Japs lost a fine opportunity of annihilating us, which we found out later they had claimed to do. From Indin, we marched up the beach for about 12 miles and took up fresh positions. This time, we'd apparently left the Japs behind us, and after a few weeks of what the papers called slight patrol activity, but was nevertheless costing men their lives, we were withdrawn. This had been predicted in daily rumours for about two months, as well as where we were going which ranged all over India, taking in Italy, and even got home. The home we got to was none other than our old station at Ahmednagar, which we'd been glad to leave, but were gladder to get back to. While in the line, I'd often heard men say, when we get out of this, I'll never bitch again. This was true for about two days, and then the chronic grumbling began about the same old things, but mainly about the bull or spit and polish. Once more, we found ourselves pounding a barrack square doing drill. NCOs got a lecture from the RSM fraternizing with pri privates with whom they hadn't, beat, hadn't to be seen consorting with after duties. From Indin, we marched up the beach for about 12 miles and took up fresh positions. This time, we'd apparently left the Japs behind us, and after a few weeks of what the papers called slight patrol activity, but was nevertheless costing men their lives, we were withdrawn. This had been predicted in daily rumours for about two months, as well as where we were going, which ranged all over India, 
taking in Italy, and even got home. The home we got to was none other than our old station at Armadnagger, which we'd been glad to leave, but were gladder to get back to. While in the line, I'd often heard men say, when we get out of this, I'll never bitch again. This was true for about two days. And then the chronic grumbling began about the same old things. But mainly about the bull or spit and polish. Once more, we found ourselves pounding a barrack square doing drill. NCOs got a lecture from the RSM, fraternising with privates with whom they hadn't to be seen consorting with after duties. They were also encouraged to put more changes into company office. NCO cadres were got under swing in which they taught and examined in sundry subjects such as the length and weight of a rifle. What a Bren gun and its different parts weighed. They were stood a hundred yards apart and shouted drill orders at each other. One half shouting, the other executing the order. All this and more was to instill discipline back into the battalion, which we'd been told had gone to hell while at the front. There'd been evidently too much camaraderie up there, eating and fighting and what I've called mucking in together. The CO we'd had in the Arkanran but mainly about the bull or spit and polish. Once more, we found ourselves pounding a barrack square doing drill. NCOs got a lecture from the RSM, fraternising with privates with whom they hadn't to be seen consorting with after duties. They were also encouraged to put more changes into company office. NCO cadres were got under swing in which they taught and examined in sundry subjects such as the length and weight of a rifle. What a Bren gun and its different parts weighed. They were stood a hundred yards apart and shouted drill orders at each other. One half shouting, the other executing the order. All this and more was to instill discipline back into the battalion, which we'd been told had gone to hell while at the front. There'd been evidently too much camaraderie up there, eating and fighting and what I've called mucking in together. The CO we had had in the Arakan, J.A. Theobalds, who was liked and respected by all, had left us having been promoted to BHO. The new CO, unfortunately, had a lot to live up to. Nearly everyone thought he was failing to do so, as between them, the RSO and company, they were blamed for what was now going on. It was a wonder they did not wither with the curses that were heaped upon them. The CO, however, was to prove himself a better man when in action than out. He was later killed at Kohima. Then followed one week of nondescript days. Christmas 1943 came along. The cooks doing us a proud with a slap-up dinner, followed by Christmas pudding. The CO we had had in the Arakan, J.A. Theobalds, who was liked and respected by all, had left us having been promoted to BHO. The new CO, unfortunately, had a lot to live up to. Nearly everyone thought he was failing to do so, 
as between them, the RSO and company, they were blamed for what was now going on. It was a wonder they did not wither with the curses that were heaped upon them. The CEO, however, was to prove himself a better man when in action than out. He was later killed at Kohima. Then followed one week of nondescript days. Christmas 1943 came along. The cooks doing as proud with a slap-up dinner followed by Christmas pudding and even producing remarkably good cake and mince pies for tea. We had a visit from new CM Theobald, second in command of the brigade, and he was given a spontaneous and rousing welcome that embarrassed him so much that he could only get a few words out in thanks. It was more appreciated than any carefully rehearsed speech. About this time, a general order was posted on detail board coming from a certain guy named Clifford that raised a vitriolic storm. Condensed, it was about the poor standard of saluting and dress, that we got too much leave, and that there was a great deal of unnecessary attention being paid to comfort and welfare. Whoever this order may have been directed at, I doubt if it could have been meant for us. After five months of action, and since landing in the country, leave had been conspicuous by its absence. As for comforts and entertainment, the least said about them as there were, the better. Somebody who pulled a boner, and even the company commander was furious. It had been posted up without his knowledge, and it soon came down. We'd seen this CNC who caused this storm when he inspected us at Mahabalashar. Christmas 1943 came along. The cooks doing as proud with a slap-up dinner followed by Christmas pudding and even producing remarkably good cake and mince pies for tea. We had a visit from new CM Theobald, second in command of the brigade, and he was given a spontaneous and rousing welcome that embarrassed him so much that he could only get a few words out in thanks. It was more appreciated than any carefully rehearsed speech. About this time, a general order was posted on detail board coming from a certain guy named Clifford that raised a vitriolic storm. Condensed, it was about the poor standard of saluting and dress, that we got too much leave, and that there was a great deal of unnecessary attention being paid to comfort and welfare. Whoever this order may have been directed at, I doubt if it could have been meant for us. After five months of action, and since landing in the country, leave had been conspicuous by its absence. As for comforts and entertainment, the least said about them as there were, the better. Somebody who pulled a boner, and even the company commander was furious. It had been posted up without his knowledge, and it soon came down. We had seen this commander-in-chief who caused this storm when he inspected us at Mahabalashar, and for one to talk about smartness, he certainly was a heap. Besides, he looked too aged and infirm to hold an action command. When his order was read, we were sure of it, and among the language that was heard in connection with his name was heard doddering and senile. I reckon he'd certainly dropped a big something. The battalion had been sent to M, a hill station, for health reasons for malaria had been and was still rife throughout the brigade, 
for which everyone was only taking blanket treatment, as it was called. The only remarkable thing about this locality was the fresh air and views. The chief entertainment being the mobile divisional cinema. We got on well with the people around here, being something of a novelty, I suspect, and I for one enjoyed my stay. It was proved that we were not forgotten after leaving for came Christmas, and many of us received a small gift sent by the Ponogagani High School, which used to throw us an occasional tea party. After a short stay in barracks, once more came the orders to move, this time to a place called Belagum, for a spot of jungle training. After a very dusty ride, we got to the area allotted to the battalion, and on seeing it proceeded to throw a fit. We had expected it to be bad, but this was terrible. Almost virgin jungle. I'd already made my mind up that I was not going to enjoy my stay here. I proved to be wrong, for I did. What helped a lot was the MT being kept apart from the battalion, and our duties consisted of DR twice a week, going out when the trucks were moved. We had seen this commander-in-chief who caused this storm when he inspected us at Mahabalashar, and for one to talk about smartness, he certainly was a heap. Besides, he looked too aged and infirm to hold an action command. When his order was read, we were sure of it, and among the language that was heard in connection with his name was heard doddering and senile. I reckon he'd certainly dropped a big something. The battalion had been sent to M, a hill station for health reasons for malaria had been and was still rife throughout the brigade, for which everyone was only taking blanket treatment, as it was called. The only remarkable thing about this locality was the fresh air and views. The chief entertainment being the mobile divisional cinema. We got on well with the people around here, being something of a novelty, I suspect, and I for one enjoyed my stay. It was proved that we were not forgotten after leaving for came Christmas, and many of us received a small gift sent by the Ponogagani High School, which used to throw us an occasional tea party. After a short stay in barracks, once more came the orders to move, this time to a place called Belagum, for a spot of jungle training. After a very dusty ride, we got to the area allotted to the battalion, and on seeing it proceeded to throw a fit. We had expected it to be bad, but this was terrible. Almost virgin jungle. I'd already made my mind up that I was not going to enjoy my stay here. I proved to be wrong, for I did. What helped a lot was the MT being kept apart from the battalion, and our duties consisted of DR twice a week, going out when the trucks were used to move the battalion to a different area, and doing exercise when motorbikes could be used on them. Once, while going along a track, the noise of the bike startled a magnificent spotted stag, it bounded past my front, giving me a first-class view of it. When not doing these jobs, we occupied our time doing maintenance, improving the MT park and camp, making the roads and charpoys. While clearing a fire belt one day, I was startled nearly out of my skin one day when I disturbed a seven 
for Python. I proved to be wrong, for I did. What helped a lot was the MT being kept apart from the battalion, and our duties consisted of DR twice a week going out when the trucks were used to move the battalion to a different area and doing exercise when motorbikes could be used on them. Once, while going along a track, the noise of the bike startled a magnificent spotted stag. It bounded past my front, giving me a first-class view of it. When not doing these jobs, we occupied our time doing maintenance, improving the MT park and camp, making the roads and charpoys. I proved to be wrong, for I did. What helped a lot was the MT being kept apart from the battalion, and our duties consisted of DR twice a week, going out when the trucks were used to move the battalion to a different area, and doing exercise when motorbikes could be used on them. Once, while going along a track, the noise of the bike startled a magnificent spotted stag. It bounded past my front, giving me a first-class view of it. When not doing these jobs, we occupied our time doing maintenance, improving the MT park and camp, making the roads and charpoys. While clearing a fire belt one day, I was startled nearly out of my skin when I disturbed a seven-foot python. It seemed as scared as I was and made off at speed into the undergrowth. Up until then, I'd thought snakes to be rather slow moving. The speed at which this particular one covered the ground did away with this delusion. On telling the boys about it later, I was accused of stretching the point, or coming the old angler's game. I'd been on my own, so I had no one to verify it. But as the fire belt we'd cleared was six feet wide, and when it had crossed it, its head had been over to the other side when its tail was still emerging from the opposite one, I don't think I overestimated its length. The army education people had give, given details. While clearing a fire belt one day, I was startled nearly out of my skin when I disturbed a seven-foot python. It seemed as scared as I was and made off at speed into the undergrowth. Up until then, I'd thought snakes to be rather slow-moving. The speed at which this particular one covered the ground did away with this delusion. On telling the boys about it later, I was accused of stretching the point, or coming the old angler's game. I'd been on my own, so I had no one to verify it. But as the fire belt we'd cleared was six feet wide, and when it had crossed it, its head had been over to the other side when its tail was still emerging from the opposite one, I don't think I overestimated its length. The army education people had given details of a scheme whereby men could undergo a technical course by correspondence, and I put down for it. The army paying so much, and I the rest. This now arrived, the first part being mathematics. By no means my favourite subject, but I got stuck into it. This passed the time away at nights. We were fairly comfortable in our quiet corner of the jungle. The scene most nights must have looked very peaceful as we lay around on our beds, hurricane lamps hanging from bamboos, giving light for the varied occupations in which our attentions were directed. Some were reading, a group playing cards, others writing, and two of us were studying. 
Our haven of peace was shattered one day when along came hurried orders to move. We guessed something important was afoot, but what no one knew, though the usual crop of rumours began to go around. Training is not broken off in the middle for nothing, and there was a note of urgency in the air. Our first stop was the old barracks, where we were kitted up with gear which meant only one thing, action. New vehicles were dished out, 30 hundredweight Alvis, 15 hundredweight Bedford, Dodges, Jeeps, and this seemed queer, as they still had to be run in. They were quickly checked, oils changed and tanks filled. Kit was packed and only essential things had to be taken. Personal stuff and what wasn't wanted on this trip had had to be put in a kit bag and left behind. We'd done all this before, and on coming back found most of our gear had gone astray in the old army way. Now there was a sorting, and the queerest things both will keep saying. This may come in handy one day. These and a lot of unserviceable kit began flying around as owners threw it out, until the back room began to look like some strange jumble cell through which a hurricane had passed. Heart-rending decisions that only a soldier knows of had to be quickly made, but out of all this scurrying around and the chaos at last came order. We found ourselves lined up waiting for the off. There was all the operational MT carrying D Company who were going by road, the remainder of the battalion going by rail, and the D from the carrier platoon, the carriers and the rest of the platoon moved later with the battalion. 3,000 miles across India. At last, the order we'd been waiting for, and away we went. The army education people had given details of a scheme whereby men could undergo a technical course by correspondence, and I put down for it. The army paying so much, and I the rest. This now arrived, the first part being mathematics. By no means my favourite subject, but I got stuck into it. This passed the time away at nights. We were fairly comfortable in our quiet corner of the jungle. The scene most nights must have looked very peaceful as we lay around on our beds, hurricane lamps hanging from bamboos, giving light for the varied occupations in which our attentions were directed. Some were reading, a group playing cards, others writing, and two of us were studying. Our haven of peace was shattered one day when along came hurried orders to move. We guessed something important was afoot, but what no one knew, though the usual crop of rumours began to go around. Training is not broken off in the middle for nothing, and there was a note of urgency in the air. Our first stop was the old barracks, where we were kitted up with gear which meant only one thing, action. New vehicles were dished out, 30 hundredweight Alvis, 15 hundredweight Bedford, Dodges, Jeeps, and this seemed queer, as they still had to be run in. They were quickly checked, oils changed and tanks filled. Kit was packed, and only essential things had to be taken. Personal stuff and what wasn't wanted on this trip had had to be put in a kit bag and left behind. We'd done all this before, and on coming back found most of our gear had gone astray in the old army way. Now there was a sorting, and the queerest things both will keep saying, this may come in handy one day. 
these and a lot of unserviceable kit began flying around as owners threw it out, until the back room began to look like some strange jumble cell through which a hurricane had passed. Heart-rending decisions that only a soldier knows of had to be quickly made, but out of all this scurrying around and the chaos at last came order. We now found ourselves lined up and waiting for the off.